In season six, we're updating many of the franchise reviews we've done over the last few years based on the most recent franchise disclosure document, as well as conversations with current franchisees, as well as franchisees that closed down or had a successful exit from that franchise system. We've received a ton of insights, oftentimes off the record, from franchisee brands of anywhere from five locations to a thousand plus locations in the United States, as well as abroad. We continue to interview franchisor founders, CEOs, as well as franchisees for some of the most compelling franchise opportunities for 2023. Stay tuned to season six of Franchise Findings. Patrick Fendaro, co-founder at Vetted Biz. Excited to have on Pete Warhurst, a very successful entrepreneur with multiple ventures, two of which being in the franchising space. Um, many of you have heard about Pods, um, a franchise that he successfully ex exited years back. Many of you might not yet have heard of Red Rover, um, his franchise that's revolutionizing the industry that he had spent a lot of his career in. And I don't want to talk too much about it. Pete, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you're still in the game with uh, Red Rover. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Patrick. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, I uh, I, I sold the uh, pod uh, back in 2007. Thought I had retired, and uh, uh, I just have an active mind and couldn't get away from uh, you know thinking about the business and some of the things we could have done better. So that sort of spurred me to start Red Rover and, and try and uh, make a, a new category, if you will, between uh, pods and U-Haul or in the moving space in general. And if you don't mind going back to your original start, because it wasn't. You you kind of fell into entrepreneurship from from what I understood, and we're in the technology space before going to the uh, self storage. Exactly. Yeah, I actually was a uh, firefighter paramedic uh, uh, down in Florida, and that uh, was in the early days. It was uh, I, I started there in '73, and, and somewhere in the mid '80s, nine one one was coming into the county, and I was asked to get involved in and making 23 fire departments and police departments uh, all into one dispatch center with 911 systems. And uh, I got involved in that and I broke away from the fire department and we ended up building a company that was the second largest 911 provider for police, fire, and EMS uh, records management and uh, ultimately sold that off to Bell Atlantic um, in the late 80s, I guess it was. Uh, again, thought I had retired. I got a little bored and decided to uh, build a mini storage, a traditional side of the road mini storage. And uh, that was going very well. I thought, you know, I'd have two or three employees and, and uh, I'd be able to play my golf and combine cane around the mini storage every now and then. Um, just one day I said, okay, let's build a second one. And Pinellas County uh, over in the Tampa Bay area is uh, very densely populated. And with mini storage, you have to have the right highway frontage and the right. Uh, zoning and not no uh, competition around you and just never could get to uh, find the right piece of property and just one day said what if we uh, brought the storage to the house and, and that was sort of the starts of pods this is what year what what year was where you first brought the the first physical pods uh, customer's house um yeah we started in not late 97 98 so it was either december 97 or you know, January 98, I don't remember exactly which which day it was, but the company was up and running. This is way ahead of the trend of going to the customer's house, where now, you know, especially COVID, it like accelerated for so many industries <laughs> where, I mean, now everything you can get delivered or service provider to you, but going right. back to late 90s, it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't like that at all. And, uh, you know, 
I didn't know if we'd have a business or not. I figured I'd build a hundred boxes and, and see if I could deliver them into people's houses. And, and, uh, you know, it ended up very quickly growing to, uh, where we were building the containers and sending them out with wet paint on them as they were air drying as they were going on the highway. And did you start, did you have like a few corporate locations in Florida then decided to go through licensing or franchise business model? Yeah. You know, again, I thought we were going to have a hundred boxes and I think they have somewhere pushing 300,000 boxes now. Um, but, uh, wow. uh, when we started, <laughs> uh, when we started, uh, uh, yeah, we, we dropped one in a customer's house and our very first advertisement was a, uh, radio, um, ad that aired during the commute and we were listening to it. We knew it was going to air. And so we listened to it and all of a sudden the phone rang and we had two or three people that said, uh, I want to rent one of these things, tell me more about it. And I had two, three, four people say, I want to invest in your company. And that was the very first oh. ad we hadn't even gotten off the ground. Um, so I knew we had something, you know, and. And uh, Pods, fortunately, was started in a very high tourist area, um, Florida, Clearwater area. And uh, it has, uh, it, we were attacking two industries, really, the, the full service mover and the truck rental companies. And, uh, yeah, back then, there was no other alternative. When we were putting these things on the driveways, tourists would see them and they'd sort of get the idea as to why this was a better mousetrap. And literally... Um, we sold franchise after franchise just because people saw the container. Um, we were attacking an industry that needed to be attacked. Um, it's an intuitive product. And uh, that sort of leapfrogged us. You know, we had customers start to ask if they could move, if we could deliver the container in another part of town or in then another part of Florida. And so we said, yes, yes, yes. And then just started growing and growing. I mean, it defrayed significantly your marketing expenditures for, <laughs> you know, new clients that moving and then like forget franchise development there's people that spend you know twenty thousand dollars just to get one franchisee to sign a, a franchise agreement that's fifteen thousand twenty thousand is kind of industry standard where you're just having franchisees seeing the pods reaching out at exactly genius. exactly yeah it was, it was crazy yeah we we realized we had more than we could afford to do on balance sheet you know and could, could pay for for by ourselves and so we said, okay, let's franchise. And uh, our first franchisee was down in Sarasota. And, uh, you know, every time another franchise would open, I'd, I'd get two or three phone calls from somebody in that area. I specifically remember Indianapolis. And they opened. I got like three phone calls that day saying, I want to buy a franchise. I want to buy a franchise just by seeing the, the containers and, and stuff. So I knew they had opened up. And uh, I often refer to it as the like the gremlins where you get them wet and they just keep multiplying and stuff. <laughs> That's exactly how it was. Yeah, we were just fortunate. It was a good product. We were attacking an industry that needed change and uh, like to pride myself in the fact that we created a very fair franchise agreement and that was you know, uh, profitable for both sides of the table. And, and I think that's really helped us as well. Let's talk about that. Cause I've researched some of the competitors of red Rover and they, the franchise is making money, not on, they're making a lot more money, not on the royalty, but all different types of fees, whether it's technology fees or principally selling the equipment to the franchisee at a really substantial markup. So yeah. I'd be curious, how did you tackle that balance with the franchise agreement with pods? And then could be a nice segue into Red Rover. Right, right. We uh, we didn't have a manufacturing source. Again, I thought we were going to have 100 boxes. And, and yeah, we ended up, you know, I think we had somewhere around 70,000 boxes when, when I sold the business. And we had five manufacturing plants. So we did 
we did um, sell the containers to the franchisees again. We were consistently fair and reasonable about those types of fees. And so we had a markup and we told them what the markup was and they, they were allowed to look at our books and, and see, yeah, we weren't trying to gouge them. And so we made some money that way and we made some money uh, selling the lift systems. We had patented our lift system and that thing's still around. I think it's done over 4 million pickups and deliveries and, you know, it's still a great device. Uh, so we made a markup on that, but it was always reasonable, you know, a manufacturer's uh, markup. Hodge, we took a different approach. Um, we, we do have patented uh, technology on the trucks that, that help us deliver and, and let the consumer utilize the truck. Um, but the containers, we're going to own all the containers, and we lease them to our franchisees for $8 over our cost. And so as our cost- This is Red on, Rover. This is Red Rover. Yes, I'm sorry. I should have wow. said that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So this is Red Rover. So we're leasing them to our, uh, our franchisees at $8 over our cost, and as our costs come down- Costs of funds come down and all that, they'll just con consistently pay $8. So it saves them having to finance, you know, they're $2,500 containers. It saves them from having to finance that. Um, and the other nice thing that we do for them is that we keep them at 85% utilized. Portable storage and fetchable storage, in our case, is a very seasonal business. And, and when the season, when you go out of season, it's very common to have, you know, get down to 50, 60% utilization of yeah, your containers. Yeah, is super high for your right. industry. And so it's super fair for them. We say you pay us 15% uh, for 115% of the containers you have leased is what you pay us for at $8 over our cost. Um, so it saves them a lot of capital up front. It really improves their IRR. Um, they stay 85% utilized year-round, um, very easy to predict you know, what your revenues and, and um, margins are going to be. But the advantage to us in doing that is that uh, we now own all the containers so we can move any container anywhere. That's crucial in, in the portable and the fetchable industries where um, if a consumer in New York loads up a container and we ship it to Las, Las Vegas, if, if the franchisee owns it, we've got to get it back because there's a UCC filing on it and all these things. Deload, right. Backhaul. I mean, then you think about it. You all and all the um, car rental companies have all these assets coming into Florida, right? Um, you got to get them back to the north so that they can come back into Florida again. And, I saw and so, like the price. Uh, it was like a U-Haul from San Fran to Austin. It was like 5K and then the route back was like 800 bucks. Yeah, exactly. They wanted to get it back. For people coming to Florida. Right, right. So we've sort of tricked that. And th these are a lot of the things that we did better than we did at Pods, right? We uh, we have a, a container that you can fold down in about 20 minutes. And so hmm. at Pods, we had to ship three containers back to the north at a time. That's all we can do. Our, our current containers at Red Rovers, we can fold them down and get 18 on a tractor trailer and ship them back. Wow. So moving the assets around and keeping them, you know, utilized is, is our burden, but it's a lot easier task and so again it's a win-win for both the franchisee and for corporate and you waited some time before start franchising where that's not that common in 2022 2023 where people have like a half-baked concept and maybe one corporate location and they're just selling like tens hundreds of units 
Yeah, yeah. I was I was very fortunate. We opened up in, in uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay area, uh, where we opened pods, and I had a lot of followers there. That uh, uh, all of my investors made a lot of money. All of my franchisees made a lot of money. I didn't have a single franchise fail uh, across wow. the network. Um, yeah, that's unbelievable. And uh, they all made millions. And uh, so I said, okay, well, if I'm going to try this venture, you know, I'm going to go back over to Tampa. And I was able to raise some. Fairly significant money early on that got us into two, three markets. Um, we had planned five for five markets. And then uh, I was fortunate to have um, an old investment banker that uh, knew me from my pods. They heard that I was back in the business and uh, sent a lot of his you know, lead soldier down to meet with us. And long story short, uh, he's with Oppenheimer now. And uh, uh, last January, a year, a year ago, we were able to uh, secure a, a large uh uh, equity deal with them. Um, and so now we're and in 15. Don't talk about this enough in franchising. Cause at the end of the day, you're signing a five, 10, 20 year agreement. And if the franchise or doesn't have a great balance sheet, they're going to start doing things that stray from their core values. And even worse, they might not be there and there could be like a bankruptcy and then you have a new owner that's coming in. So no doubt. it is really important. No doubt. You, you want to make sure that the franchise or is uh, is healthy. And uh, yeah, we've got a great partner in Oppenheimer. My my shareholders I've gone back to a couple of times, my friends and family a couple of times. And uh, yeah, we were able with the, with the Oppenheimer investment, we're in 15 major cities around the U.S. now. And uh that's a pretty substantial investment, pretty substantial footprint to be kicking off a, a national program, right? Um, and so our franchise program is really designed to help us fill in the voids and the blanks um, around the country. Uh, you know, in order to do uh, our long distance business, we have to have a, a presence in both the origination and the destination. So it needs um, to make sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. So um, our franchisees partake in all those revenues, and uh, yeah, we've put our money where our mouth is, and uh, we're not gouging them for containers and. Fees, uh, yeah. So uh, our royalty is uh, an eight percent royalty, and that includes a ton of services. You know, the call centers, some logistics, and all sorts oh, wow. of things. Yeah. Um, so from your side, the franchise, or if I understand correctly, is helping really heavily marketing, sales, the product, product development, and then the franchisees doing what? The hiring, training, firing, and client service? That's right. Yeah, they're, they're really, the franchisees are really there to help us build out the network. So most of our franchisees say they wanted this market the market that they live in because they know that market and they have friends and, and things like that. Um, so you're exactly right. They find a warehouse. Um, they have to buy a truck or trucks and then a forklift to handle the, the, the goods. They have to hire two or three employees. Ours is really a low employee. We're trying to really drive it to a low employee headcount. Um, and we're doing that through technology. We have technology in our trucks and, and in our call centers and our ability to monitor, we can shut down a truck if somebody goes rogue on us and starts driving to Canada or Mexico. We can shut down the truck and you know track it. We geofence them and all this stuff. So uh, our trucks are nothing like a U-Haul experience. These have backup cameras, lane departure. Yeah, so we're really trying to use technology to keep the headcount low. And it's important for your branding. Like I've heard horror stories from restaurant franchisors that went into the food truck space. Because you have some guy driving around with your brand on the truck, cutting people off, maybe doing worse stuff, and it's you—you you can't have that. You gotta cut cut the truck, right? And 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 we're really unique because we like you all. We let the consumer drive our truck. Um, we give them the truck for free. We give them the fuel for free. Um, 
Uh, we pay the tolls. They get a free hand truck, free mileage up to 60 miles typically. Um, you know, so uh, it's a completely unique experience. And, you know, while that's good for distinguishing yourself from the others, it's a lot of education to the consumer. What do you mean I got to drive the truck? What do you mean I can push a button and the container ends up in my driveway? And, you know, so we've got a the customer experience too at like a U-Haul, like I've gone through the numbers, like U-Haul, the, the licensees don't make much money. It's really a side hustle. They're, they're barely making any money, distraction from their core business. And I, I felt that as the customer going in to rent a U-Haul years back with my brother moving apartments. And I was just the dude, he didn't care. Like we were annoying him and, you know, we're paying what was at the time a lot of money for us. And I, I felt like we should have been better educated on what the hell we were doing. I'd never driven a truck before. Yeah, um, and people are intimidated, yeah, but we do th think our technology helps to uh, ease some of that tension. You know, I say, yeah, if somebody's got to get in the U-Haul and drive a big U-Haul or even a small U-Haul, um, our experience is 10 times better. Um, you know, ours, you book it online, you go to what we call a self-service lot, it, it's literally a fenced-in gated uh, parking lot with cameras and security and everything you have a code you go in the truck is sitting there your truck is sitting there it, we unlock it when you enter the code where truck unlocks you get in you drive it on you do your thing you load it up or you leave the container behind wherever you whatever your needs are and you bring the truck back to us and they'll you know uh, we track it we say you have it for, for free at the 60 miles if you go 65 we'll probably just sort of look the other way if you go 85 we're probably going to charge you for it you know and, but that's all through technology and uh when you come back, we take the container and put it in our warehouse, and uh, you don't have to interact with anybody. And, and I think COVID, you talked a little bit about COVID offline there, and uh, I do think that COVID um, created this new way of doing customer service and stuff. And a lot of people like it. The millennials definitely like it. Yeah, I don't necessarily want to get on a phone call with someone. Like, I want to do it myself, maybe message, SMS, WhatsApp, or just direct booking. Yeah, it's all it's all online. Uh, you can always call because, and we get a lot of calls because it is a new service and people don't understand how it works. And what do you mean? I get the truck for free? Yeah, where's the catch? Right? <laughs> <laughs> the catch is you pay for the container for a month. Yeah, but uh, if you look at, a, at at the alternative where you have to rent a U-Haul and then go down to a mini storage and rent a mini storage and unload the U-Haul into the mini storage and reverse that process and stuff. Here, you pack once, you unpack once, you do it on your your time frame, and the truck is free. I mean. Doesn't get much better. So, what, what would you say is like a typical use case? So that's like a profitable case for a Red Rover, where you're like, I want this type of case all day. If we can just <laughs> just do this one case, we'd be super happy. Yeah, we 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 have three revenue sources. I guess is the best way to say it. We have the customer that needs some storage and they want it in our warehouse, and and we stack containers in our warehouse, three high, sometimes four high. Uh, the economics of that mat model is is we pay ten or twelve dollars a square foot for a warehouse, and we're getting fifteen to twenty dollars a square foot for a container, and stacking them three high. So you can see we're generating you know sixty eighty dollars for what we're paying twelve or fifteen for. So those economics work, and and so the longer the customers stay in the in the warehouse, obviously the better, more profitable customer that was. Uh, the second business is where you want to remodel your house, put it in your container in your driveway empty something or you're painting your house and you want to move stuff out into the, to your driveway but you don't necessarily need to go all the way back to the warehouse so we charge less for that but on the flip side of it we don't have the expense of the warehousing and getting it to and from the warehouse and, and things like that so uh that's what we call our on-site business and and so of those two business uh 60 of, of the our customers local customers go to the warehouse 40 percent leave it on 
on their driveway. Okay. Um, and then the third revenue stream is the long distance. And that's the highest dollar, highest margin business we have. And that's where the customer's moving from Long Island to Las Vegas. Um, and, uh, you know, they come and they get the truck and, and they put the container in the driveway for two, three, four days a week, whatever they want. And they take their time to load the container up or containers. Uh, they bring the truck, they come get the truck again and bring the container back to us. And we will hold it in our warehouse so they say they're ready for it to go to Vegas. And we'll put it on a third-party carrier, get it out to Vegas for them, and they just sort of reverse the process when they get their new home in Vegas. So um, those are all of those customers are great for us. Uh, the longer-term uh, rental periods are our better business. Uh, our worst business is the the you know the two-week rental that you know they come and they just don't need a couple of weeks, but it's still good business for us. And and yeah, we talked a little bit about uh, the marketing stuff. Anytime I can put a box in a residential neighborhood, right, on yeah. somebody's driveway, I've got a billboard in that driveway for however long they keep it there. So even that two-week rental customer, if they take it home and put the container in the driveway for a couple of days, that's a huge marketing advantage that we have. And uh, there aren't many businesses that can put billboards all through residential neighborhoods right so yeah and i can imagine especially when you're seeding a new market like you're happy to have those two-week customers just like having the box and all different types of areas and zip codes and the- yeah and one of our strategies is we could we simply say the truck is free and the first month rent on the container is free and people put it in the driveway and fortunately for us most people when it goes into our warehouse and into the driveway they think okay it'll be here for a month and i'll I'll have this thing for free or it'll be in the warehouse for a month a year later it's still in the warehouse so um yeah and that's great for us and uh, it's a typical experience for the well, consumer like as well that renovate their house or renovate their business like they think it's gonna be a six-month timeline but it's always like a year and there always is and you know you sell one house and you're waiting for the other house to be completed and the builder says okay two weeks and you'll be in here and Two months later, you're still you're still in the the apartment or living with mom and dad or whatever it is. So, yeah, uh, we make it easier. Um, we make it very very convenient. We make it very affordable. Um, and uh, you know the the revenue splits that we do with our franchisees are better than what uh, uh, we did at Pods. And our Pods guys made a lot of money. Um, so it's a win win. And how much how much are we talking about to to get in in terms of like initial startup cost um, to to open up a, a market at Red Rover? It's it's a seven-digit number. You have to you have yeah. to be a high net worth. It's a seven-digit number. If you're if you're taking down, I have somebody that wants to take down all of Georgia right now. You know, and 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 so that's multi, that's probably going on to an eight-digit number. Yeah, is what their capital will be. Um, if you go down into a four four hundred thousand population, which is probably the lowest size we would recommend until we get a better brand awareness out there but uh uh yeah you'll just be at that million million and a half total capital requirements and stuff are you okay with people levering up like someone that's young and hungry they get 200k from from their father and then they get an sba loan to, to absolutely meet capital absolutely yeah no uh, we encourage it and uh we do uh, ask to see financial so that we don't let somebody like that get in over their head, right? Where their money's coming from. And we don't want a failure. Again, no failures yes. of pods. I don't want any failures on this yeah. one. Um, so uh, we'll safeguard. And we have people, yeah, a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to have two trucks and 50 boxes. And now you're providing me the boxes for $8 over your call. Yeah. Uh, they think they can get into this for 100, 200 grand. It is much more expensive than that. So, um, yeah, so we have to safeguard on that and monitor it. But uh, it, and there's good... positive aspects about getting into a business where there is a proper barrier of entry. Uh no doubt, no doubt. Um, 
this is not an inexpensive um, franchise to, to build. Um, it takes a lot of capital. Uh, there's a lot of portable storage companies out there that just have their little market that they, they uh, you know, starting up in and they have a warehouse and they may have 100 and 200 containers and they're making a business, you know, but they basically bought a uh, paycheck, right? They're making 100 grand yeah. a year or whatever it is. And I haven't been that impressed by like the portable storage franchises in like the 200 to 500K range. Right. Maybe as the owner, you're making 100K. 150k exactly. and you're working every day exactly you can scale up but it's not so easy to scale up there's going to be a lot of barriers so tremendous amount of barriers and one of the biggest ones is you'll never tap the, the long distance businesses and independent you know you'll never because again you got to have somebody on the receiving side if you have a customer that wants to move out of podunk wherever and and uh, down to texas you have to have somebody in texas to take the container and then you gotta get that container back so you're really just getting those two revenue streams the on-site business and, and the warehouse business and some local moves but you're not really getting the high dollar high margin business and that's what you know we bring to the table we've got the network and it's just growing even more and then you know say someone's listening and they're in one of the 15 or so markets you're currently in and they're very excited about the Red Rover brand. They start the discovery process with you, but they really want to, they don't want to move. Like their spouse works, they have their community, their church, they're, they're, they're happy where they are. Is there a possibility that they buy one of those corporate locations from you and you kind of refranchise it to them? Right. That's a great question. Yeah. We would obviously want to recoup our, our costs and maybe make a little five, five, you know, seven, eight percent, whatever something on our money that we did there. Um, for the time. Yeah, for the time and the effort and everything else. But, uh, you know, the, there's a possibility that we just sell the whole market to them. It depends on what the market is. There's some that are pretty religious around here. <laughs> yeah, the, we don't want it. We don't want to give those up, but um, uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's several that we would sell and, um, you know, it's a good way to get into it. The other option is if it's a big market, um, Los Angeles, for instance, um, maybe we carve out a section that is more appropriate size for whoever this is in their budget. So we can cooperate within uh, an area as well. I remember Atlanta, we had two franchisees and there's several other places at pods that we we split the markets up and we can control that with our systems what are some of your lessons learned being the founder of uh basically the top storage franchise with pods from like franchising as well as just like the industry maybe if you could touch on that franchising as well as just self-storage now that you're now on to red road right well the, the number one thing we learned is that you don't want a, a fixed container. You, you got to go to a, a folding container for, for backhauls and logistics purposes, economics, and all those types of things. Um, that was probably number one. I honestly do feel that we were extremely fair in our franchise program at, at Pods. And like I say, it really made a lot of money. Um, the people that bought it from us began buying back the franchises. That was part of the agreement. And they got a nice multiple on that buyback. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of those things and uh, that we put in that agreement, we've also put in our agreement. But then where we maybe had the hiccups and stuff, we uh, moved around on some of those. From an industry standpoint, you know, I, I think we pretty well understand the industry and, and how to approach it. Um, we really didn't want to be another pods. We didn't want to be another portable storage company. We wanted to drop our company. I said pods dropped in between the full service and the truck rental. Um, we positioned our company between pods and the truck rental industry. Really thinking we were going to go after the truck rental more than pods because I, I always ask people, how does, you know, 
U-Haul or Ryder or Penske, any of these guys compete with a truck that we're giving you for free that has all the technology in it and stuff. So, you know, we're really trying to carve away at that industry. And, um, you know, the, the truck rental industry has 60% of the 60 or 65% of the long distance business in America, more than the, than the, um, full service movers, more than pods, pods is down less than 20%. I uh, forget what that number is, but there's, you know, that's how much of it they have. And, and so if we can really carve away at that, that truck rental business, um, I think, uh, I think we've got a huge advantage. And it sounds like you also own the customer relationship where if I wanted to move from Miami beach to Southern California tomorrow, I could just deal with you and I don't have to figure out the storage a little bit of time and, and right. it's wherever I'm going and like all those other logistics. And yeah, if you're just dealing with a U-Haul and again, it's some guy's side hustle, like <laughs> you're, you're, you're not going to be the red carpet's not going out where you have all these ancillary service providers that are really rolling up their sleeves to help you. And, and if you think about it, it's uh yeah, we, we have a concierge service. We don't even call it a call center because it's truly a hand-holding concierge service. Uh, when a customer shows up at one of our self-service lots, we see them on camera. We get alerted that they open the gate and we'll sort of watch them as they're struggling with something or confused or can't find their truck or whatever. We'll reach out and call them and talk to them and stuff. And we'll, we'll tell them we're with you all day. You know, my name's Tom and you know, this is my number. <laughs> call me all day. And, and so by us taking that on as the franchisor, um, and that's included in their 8%, right? So, um, in the royalty, but us taking that on as a franchisor removes all of that headache from the franchisee and we leverage the volumes and stuff and we just make it more cost effective for all of us. So it's, again, it's a win-win, right? So it sounds like the franchisee is just focusing on the tasks that can, that need to be done like in person and you can do everything that's can be virtual, which there's a lot of virtual things now in 2023. Exactly, exactly. And they, they they hire and fire. They find the warehouse space. They they do guerrilla marketing. You know, get out and, and if there's a fair or a picnic or something going on, right? You you gotta you gotta have the personality and you gotta have the drive to get out there and say, let me let me put a container here for you, you know, for free, you know, or whatever. And so you have to Charity you have to work. nurture your individual market. But uh, yeah, we. Uh, we do 99% of it. And the upside for us is we get good franchisees. They're happy. They're, they're making money. And, uh, you know, our footprint grows. Uh, we use, we look at Metcalf's law all the time. And I think we have about a thousand lanes now um, across America. And every time we add another franchise, that goes exponentially. It goes up. So uh, um, we're excited about it. Tell me a little bit. Who's your ideal franchisee? The entrepreneur, the the previously successful business person, maybe all in a franchise program, maybe not. Yeah, we we want people to be creative. We want them to give us feedback and and work with us. Um, we don't claim to have all the answers. So somebody that uh, um, can think outside the box, no pun intended, um, but uh, and can uh, just nurture the um, the community that he's servicing. Relationship builder. A lot, a lot of relationships. Thanks. You you brought up a big point, like previous success, like, and I've interviewed now over a hundred franchise founders, our team over a thousand franchisees and like the best systems, like the people in the system, they were successful at other endeavors, whether it was as an employee somewhere, as an executive manager um, and some, some business, or maybe they worked at the corporate center for the franchisor and they, they nah, accelerated, nah. but it's, it's like a, 
it's a big indicator if the franchise system is going to be successful, like if the franchisees had a prior success. Exactly. No doubt about it. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I went to college for one year, um, don't have a lot of business uh, college curriculums and so forth, but uh, uh, I absorbed a lot through all these different businesses that I was in. And, and if, uh, if a franchisee has got the similar character uh, where they can listen and absorb and then suggest and modify and enhance. Um, that's the guy you want. Somebody that you don't want the guy that's going to sit behind the desk and just wait for the cash register to fill up so they can go to the bank, right? I mean, uh, you want the guy that wants to, to work his Hungry, territory. Curious. Hungry, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Wants to work the market. Well, Pete, it's been awesome having you on, and thanks for sharing um, all all your track record and, and, and prior successes and what you're doing at Red Rover. Do you have any concluding thoughts? I mentioned we have a lot of prospective franchisees, franchisees, franchisors that listen in. Yeah, I mean, thank you for having us because, you know, obviously uh, a lot of people thinking about franchising are listening to your podcast and uh, hopefully they uh, they uh, hear this particular one and it helps me as well. Um, but I enjoy doing this. I, I enjoy maybe inspiring somebody out there that uh, would like to start up something new and, and some of the hurdles and if there's somebody out there that wants to call and chat with me about, you know, how do I do this or how to do that, I encourage it. You know, just call the office and I'd gladly chat with you. Awesome, Pete. Well, thanks so much for being transparent, open, and um, we'll definitely leave links for anyone that's interested in getting in contact with Pete and his team to see if a Red Rover might be a good franchise opportunity for their entrepreneurial endeavors. Perfect. Thanks for having me, Patrick. No, thanks, Pete. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. You can leave us a review if you enjoyed the podcast episode. If you hated the podcast episode, let us know what you thought as well as what future episodes you'd like to hear. Feel free also to drop me a line at patrick at vettedbiz.com and subscribe please to our YouTube channel, Business and Franchise Opportunities by Vetted Biz. This has been Franchise Findings Podcast. Thanks for listening.